Computer, initialize Holosuite. Welcome to another episode of The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Perry. I'm your host, David. Tonight we're talking about Season 4, Episode 17, A Session. But before we continue, you can find us on Facebook, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube as The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. Absolutely. And as I say every single week, and we'll probably say every single week, you should find us and follow us because we are awesome. We are a pretty good time, and I feel like our breakdowns of this show are pretty spot on. I mean, it's not like um, some other shows that I've seen where they make wild, whatever statements about the show. <laughs> um, there, there are some that are out there. I don't know why some people enjoy that or not, but some things are just whatever. Um, I will uh, say really quick, I do apologize for the delay in getting out last week's episode. That was the extra long episode that we did. Um, there were some hiccups when it came to editing that episode, so it came out a little bit later than normal. Um, but uh, you, I feel like you were well compensated for it because you got an extra helping of us in that episode. Yeah. So um, I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope you can forgive, and hopefully we won't have any more of these hiccups in the future. Um, but yeah, just wanted you to know that's all that was there. Nothing major. Um, but yes, we are here to talk about this 90, what, fourth episode for us. Oh, that's a good question. 94th for us. Oh, for I us. Believe. Okay. I believe it's the 94th for us. We're coming up on the big triple digits. Um, but before we dive into the episode, of course, as always, I like to give us a chance to check in with each other. So David, how has your week been? Yeah, it's been good. Uh, work was fine, is what it is. But what was most interesting this week was I got to see you know two films since we last talked, which was yes. Mission Impossible, the new yes. one, and saw the new Oppenheimer by Christopher Nolan. Yes. Okay, no spoilers start, for anybody, but just how yes, how we're both. We'll will, start with Mission Impossible. What did you think? Both were great. Okay, uh, I'll say, I'll start with Mission Impossible because that's the one I was you know leading up to the most. Oppenheimer was more recent. Um, Mission Impossible Seven was great. The only problem with it is that because it's a two-parter, it indulges itself in being a little bit like they could have slimmed down the storytelling a little bit in order to – if it had been a single movie, its own standalone movie, they would have had reason to to, to, skip, to slim it up. But this one, because it knows it's going to take its time, it's going to have a second part, it's a little bit indulgent in its storytelling and, okay. it, and how long it takes there's one scene near the beginning there's a lot of exposition going on and like the camera is off over here like hey pay attention to this like really like and the camera just like keeps pointing at it like pay it's like okay we get it <laughs> we're paying attention to the thing you're pointing at like we're, we get it it's just anyway great it was a fun movie a lot of it, typical mission impossible if you've been watching them uh, we'll have to get an update from you, Perry, to see if you've got a chance to yes. catch up yet. I, I, um, I'm gonna. It. I've now committed myself in the next week to knocking them all out and getting that done. So we'll we'll be okay. able to talk about it. All right. Have you got through three yet? Last week heard you. No. Stopped, you um, but I'm gonna no. do that. I'm gonna do that one tonight. <laughs> um, I was. Uh, yeah. 
just suffice yeah. to say, All there right. were things that were happening. So, but I, I will do that one Got tonight. I'll do three tonight. I'll probably do four tomorrow, and then I will get the rest of them within the next few days after that. And then either the follow this this is in next Saturday. I may be able to get out and go and see the movie, the the seventh right. one. So that that should be my, that's my plan. Okay, cool. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Um, the more recent Mission Impossible movies are all have really started to focus on what Tom Cruise is willing to do for his stunts, and so this one is a there's a big stunt. Uh, for those who haven't seen the trailers, I won't say anything. You know, just there's a big old stunt he does in this one, uh, which was funny because I knew what the stunt was because they'd been you know advertising it like crazy, and so it wasn't a reveal for me to see the stunt because like they reveal the entire stunt in all these promos that they were doing about head the behind the scenes of Mission Impossible Seven. Um, so I like that they were advertising the movie, but it also meant that some of the, you know, I'd already seen some of the movie cause they already promoted some of the big action sequences. So that was all, I mean, that's always the problem much, with spoiler with, with trailers and yeah, stuff. They're trying yeah. to entice you, but then the, the draw becomes boring the second right. time around. Okay. Exactly. But the, uh, the plot plot was overall good, uh, unique. Um, again, I won't say anything else, just that I enjoyed it. Other movie was Oppenheimer. I saw that Thursday night. You know, movies come out on a Friday, but they have showings Thursday nights. And it's uh, meant to be seen in IMAX. But I didn't realize, I mean, I tried to keep my knowledge of the movie minimal beforehand. Yeah. Like, I was intentionally avoiding stuff. Like, I didn't know that it's rated R. Uh, reason that's important is only because Christopher Nolan doesn't usually do R. Um, it's not a big problem. It's not like he goes crazy or anything. It's just that this is a, little, this is a heavier story than he's typically known for. Um, and the movie is a full three hours oh, long. Oh, man. Okay. <laughs> I, so it's I a mean commitment. a full it's a commitment. three hours. Yeah, my showing started at 9.10, so it takes like 20 minutes for them to get through all the ads and the trailers. So let's say 9.30. I didn't get out of there until 12.30 at night. And I didn't even realize it was going to take that long. Like, I was getting out of the theater being like, 12.30. <laughs> I was like, okay. Uh, but it was really good. You know, I, I hate saying that, you know, I enjoyed it because I don't want to give people such a high expectation and then, then go no, see no, it. No, no, if you like, enjoyed oh, it, it was... you enjoyed it. I mean, everybody's take oh, well, is going to be different. Well, but I, I enjoyed it so much that I really, really hope that it becomes an Oscar contender and that Christopher Nolan and and he wins or someone wins for something because it, I mean, that three hours was something. It's, it's, I was not expecting the movie to be this way. You know, it's about Oppenheimer who helped develop the atomic bomb. who was in charge of the Manhattan project, but I didn't know much about him at all. I didn't know about his life. And there was more to his story as the movie progressed than I realized there was going to be. Um, that last hour is really important. You know, there's the first two hours, which are what I was kind of expecting. And then everything that happened in the last hour, I had no idea that that was even something to be interested okay. in. Um, and so it was really well written. Christopher Nolan read the book um, American Prometheus, which is about Oppenheimer, uh, and that used that to write the screenplay and then direct it. Because he's a he's a screenwriter director. He's the type who writes his own movies, which means that he's, he's really involved the whole way through. And you can really feel it. Really loved it. The other, uh, the other Christopher Nolan movies that I watched this week were like The Dark Knight Rises, which unfortunately, having rewatched it several times, it's definitely a drop down in quality from The Dark Knight. It's like it's, it feels sloppy. Unfortunately, it feels like they were trying to just you know kind of be done with Batman almost. Like we've done two movies, but Christopher Nolan wants to move on, and Warner Brothers basically said, okay, just do one more, and then you can move on. 
It just doesn't feel as coherent as the previous two. Um, Interstellar, I think, is good, but I think that the ending has a problem, which I can detail later. But otherwise, uh, rewatching Dunkirk was good because I, <laughs> the first time I went to go see Dunkirk at the theater, I bought tickets a few days ahead of time. And when I went to the theater with my family, I was sitting down in the seats. And right before the movie started, someone came up and said, hey, those are our seats. This is a packed theater. And it turns out the guy I had bought the tickets from had had sold me the tickets for the day I went there, not for the day that I had asked for. And so we had to go up to the front, get new tickets, and go back into the theater into worse seats. And the first five-ish minutes had already started. So I was pretty pissed, as you can imagine. Hmm. It also meant, though, that my enjoyment of the film was lessened because the first five minutes set up how he's telling the story. Dunkirk is told in a weird time frame where – there's there's you're seeing things through different people's perspectives, but their version of events is also happening over different sets of time, which I will go into in more detail. I'm going to say that if you don't understand what's happening because you missed the first five minutes, it messes with your enjoyment of the film. And so rewatching Dunkirk, because it's been a while since I've seen it, made me enjoy a little bit more than when I first saw it. And of course, I love Tenet. Tenet is great. If you pay attention to what's going on and you really look into like go on YouTube and like watch people explain what's happening, there's a lot it it, it was perfectly done. Okay. There are one or two things that I can nitpick, but otherwise love Tenet. And then Oppenheimer, which is kind of a new thing, you know, this is not a sci fi, you know, action y flick. There's not action in Oppenheimer. It's it's almost it's like almost like a biopic. Um, but yeah, really well done. Very very Christopher Nolan, if you know his style. Um, really enjoyed it. Look forward to seeing it again. But if you're going to go see it, be, be ready for three hours. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Because it's a full full three hours. So. Okay. Anyway, uh, how about you? Uh, how's, how's your week been? Uh, my week's been pretty steady. Um, I finally got to notice that um, the opening for the position that I've been angling for um, has finally... Um, occurred and so now with that of course they are they're not just going to like select anybody unfortunately um they are making us kind of all go through their own internal interview process but since i've got some additional trainings and things i feel pretty confident about it now uh, i just know that i've been selected there's only like two spots open there's a bunch of people who have or who are in the running apparently but um i I feel like besides me and like maybe there's a, a smattering of people from all over who have all this exact same qualifications. So um, I'm glad that I was selected at least for the interview process. I'm hoping that I get the job, obviously. Um, I do my first round of interviewing this coming Friday. So that's the work thing. Um, Personally, I've been working out more and I seem to have roped my whole family into it now. I went from (laughs) just being my nephew to now um, my sister and brother-in-law, they're coming along. I've got my mother and my aunt are going to be on their own program uh, too that I'm helping them to formulate as well. And I'm really enjoying doing that for people, like getting people who like either have no experience whatsoever or the people who obviously like who are more like me, who have a lot of experience, who've done this for years, and maybe you just fell out of practice for whatever particular reason. So I've been having a lot of fun reestablishing things like that for people, and I'm looking forward to that continuing. Um, I obviously have not been following up with, um, um, the Mission Impossible movies, uh, as I said that I would, I do apologize for that. I will get back on that. 
Um, I have been uh, getting, you know, reading more of The Expanse. And I have to admit, there were, I'm, I'm in parts of the book, they're making references to things that came before that were in the previous book. And I don't remember them. And so it's been making me feel like I've skipped a book. So I'm going back and I've got like the third book and I keep it with me. And just when they start to make certain right. references, I try to go back and find the sections to see it just maybe I skipped over it. I don't know. So right. just be aware of that. And maybe I just wasn't paying attention when I read that section or something. I don't know. But yeah, um, the character Havelock. Yeah. Havelock, right? Yes. He's, he was um, he was the partner in the first in book the in first the first book. season. Right. But in the show, the character, I think, is. I think he's killed off in the first he's season. Not, he's not killed off. He's almost killed, but he survives because they, they impale That's him. Right. But he survives, right. and then he ships out, and we never see him again. Little did we right. know in the, in the books, though, he pops back up. So yeah, I mean, as a as a point of view character. Yes. Yeah. So I mean, there and there's a lot of that, and then there's some stuff about the proto molecule and whatever else, um, and then there's some other things with some of the other characters too that just was like. I've, I I know I read it, but I just can't remember where. So I'm kind of keeping the books around me as like a quick reference just in case. But I'm enjoying it, right. which also has led me back to watching the show again, because why not? Yeah. And I'm just kind of like picking certain things. And I'm realizing right. like there are certain characters who are my favorite, but now reading the books, they're not. No, don't worry. Avasarala is not one of them. She's still my favorite. I, I still... I love that character, but like for example, my yeah. opinion of Naomi has changed a little bit. You know, she's definitely different in the yeah. books versus the show. Yeah, yeah. She, she she certainly is. Yeah. And whereas in the book, obviously, we get a little bit more depth with her. There are certain things about why she does what she does that I just don't agree with. And then when you like when you read it in the book, and then go back and watch the show and like watch how they do it in the show, I find that I, I dislike it even more. Like, for example, I was watching season one and, you know, her whole giving Fred Johnson the molecule and her uh, reason behind it. I just I really didn't agree with any of that whatsoever. And it just kind of in the show, in the didn't, show, didn't like the yes, show version. in the show. Yeah. I did not like the show's version. And that's kind of standing out to me, you know. Um, right. But yeah, but it's just little things like that that really just been keeping me entertained. Um also, you know, the new Star Trek show, Strange New Worlds, it's the only Trek show that's out right now. Everything else is either has finished their run, otherwise canceled, or in production. Um, right. uh, been enjoying that. The new season is great. It's got a lot of great callbacks to both the original series and kind of doing their own thing. So I've really been enjoying that. And that's the, the thing I wanted to say for people who are watching the show or maybe are curious about the show. Um, one, due to its episodic nature, you don't necessarily have to watch what came before to watch an episode. And I say all that because the next episode coming up is a groundbreaking episode. If you if you are uh, interested at all, you should watch it, especially if you're a fan of crossovers, you know, where one crew goes to another crew's ship or station or whatever it is. This is the first time ever in the history of the franchise, that we will have animated characters jumping from animation to live action next week. <laughs> it's the first time. I'm really excited. Right. So, the, so there are some characters from Lower Decks who will be making an appearance on uh, the Enterprise 
uh, under as Pike. their live action as version. their live not the, actions not, self right and the not beauty the animation is suddenly being right right imposed on live action and the yeah, beauty yeah. of that is the voice actors for the lower decks characters will be playing their live action roles so good that you know yeah. that's awesome that's absolutely awesome good. I'm really excited to see what they do with it, how they do it. Um, but yeah, if you're interested at all, tune in next week. That'll be on the um, the 28th. No, sorry, the 27th. It's going to be on Thursday. On the 27th is when that episode comes out. You should watch it. You, you, you'll probably enjoy it. I know I'm looking forward to it. Um, and I would love to be able to talk about it with some other people too. So um, yeah, watch it. Okay. But we're not here to talk about Lower Decks and Strange New Worlds or any of those other shows. We are here to talk about Deep Space Nine, the um, always underrated, but as we are discovering, masterfully done uh, television show from the 90s. And uh, we are talking about this episode here in the, in the fourth season, uh, Accession, or Accession, I've heard it pronounced. I I don't know which one. It's a one. weird word. Yeah, it's I was a trying to very think how to weird, pronounce it before yeah. I said it. um i've said accession Accession. i've said accession for years i've heard it pronounced accession i can i understand that because of access being right there in the in the beginning but i do believe it is accession so yeah there you go um gotcha would you like again for everyone who didn't remember some last week this is the we have officially completed the first half of the entire show. Yes. This is now. We are now on the like, downward slope. We are now yes. going into the, the end here. Right. Um, I mean. There's so much to yeah. come, though. Don't worry. There's know, so much to come. <laughs> um, the next few episodes, in fact, Actually, are Actually, part of the reason I bring ladies. it up is because this episode refers back to the original pilot yes, episode. it does. In some ways. And it, so it's and it kind features, of like a little soft reboot. <laughs> right. And it, I mean, because it features Captain Sisko. And it's on that path of, you know, it's further explaining his role as the emissary, which we really right. haven't touched on in quite some time. So it's nice to kind of, yeah. that here we are in this, we're hitting the back half, basically, and we're, we're kind of catching back up with where we are with that. So would you like me to give right. the recap or do you want to do it? I did last week's, uh, so okay. I think it's your turn. All right. Well, as succinctly as possible, I will just say that um, this episode starts with Cisco being um, uh, called upon to perform his emissary duties. There's a couple that recently got married and they want the emissary to bless them. He's a little uncomfortable about doing it, but he does it anyway. And he kind of, again, um, uh, talks to Dax about the fact that, yeah, this does him being seen as a religious icon is bothersome, not just professionally, but also uh, personally. Um, they right. are then interrupted by something coming through the wormhole. It's an old light ship, very similar to the one that Cisco built in the episode Explorers that him and Jake mm-hmm. went on um, with their little fancy trip, you know. Um, it's yep. all beat up, broken. It's really old. They say it's like 300 years old, but there's somebody in it. They beam the survivor aboard. It's an old Bajoran guy named Akram, I believe was his name. Akram Wan. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, yep. So um, he's a Bajoran who almost died. He got swallowed up by the wormhole, and now he's back. And um, believing that having spent so much time lost in the wormhole and with the prophets, he is the actual emissary, not uh, Captain Sisko. Um they basically ask him a few questions. He establishes who he is. He's a renowned poet um, on, on Bajor who went missing and was presumed dead again 300 years ago. And uh, now here he is. 
based upon the various prophecies, he does seem to fit the description, at least initially, of the uh, emissary. And this delights Cisco. He's kind of relieved. Finally, someone else can take over this mantle for him, and he can go back to this being a Starfleet officer again, which is really all he wants. Right. Um, so at first, he's really happy about that, but then one of the very first things that Akram does is he starts advocating for the reestablishment of what are called Dejaras, which was the Bajoran caste system, which separated people out by their family and region where they lived, and based upon these this information, you were only allowed to have certain jobs, like Kira is a part of the artisan uh, grouping, so she shouldn't right. be in the military at all. She should be a sculptor or a painter or something, and so um, that's that's her Dajara. That's what she's supposed to do. There's another guy who um, he is a Vedic, but because of his Dajara, he's supposed to basically do funeral rites only. He can't yes. be a Vedic, so that comes up later. But basically, it's to say that it's a caste system. Now, the Federation, remember, the whole reason that they're in the system is to bring Bajor into the Federation. But the Federation is all about inclusion and equality. No one better than anyone else for something as what we, they would consider stupid or silly like castes. We're not going to hold people back because of a, a caste system. So now here is Cisco faced with the fact that this is being reestablished on Bajor. And the Federation's like, well, they can't be a member if they have a caste system. So now Cisco's right. facing heat from the Federation because Bajor is looking like they're going backwards. His whole mission was to bring Bajor into the fold. He's now right. being basically looked at as he's failing his mission, which Kira tries to come to his defense. She's like, it's not really your fault. This is something right. else entirely. Which this is kind of right. beginning to let us see that there is a clear um, misunderstanding of how religion is viewed and held within federation and within the federation and in particular starfleet we can see that there's a disconnect here and we're trying and they're trying to figure out a way to rectify the situation but it's not going well um meanwhile we have another vedic on the station a vedic porta who is all about bringing back the dajars if that's what the emissary said then that's what you should do and he's a hardcore advocate he's telling kira that's why she's struggling, because she hasn't given herself completely over to what the emissary is asking, and he's just a very strong proponent of doing this. Um, it reaches a fever pitch when, again, the same Vedic kills the other Vedic who wouldn't step down and, and do just funeral rites only. He pushes him right. off of the upper level of the promenade, snaps the guy's neck, and he dies. And he says he did it because he refused to give up his Vedic ways and follow his Dajara. This brings in the emissary, the new emissary, Akram, and uh, Cisco wants to sit down and talk with him. And Akram's like, well, you know, hey, transitions, what are you going to do, man? They're hard. And Cisco's like, wait a minute, what? Like, the guy just murdered someone and that's all you got to say? And he's like, well, you know, uh, I expected there to be some kind of resistance, but we, we got to just roll with it. We got to get the, everybody back to the Dajaras. This basically pitches Cisco off and he's like, I no, we've got this can't happen. I'm not gonna let you do this. I'm willing to be the emissary again to put this to uh, put a stop to this. And the guy's like, well yeah, you try it and you're gonna run into some issues. And uh Cisco's like, well there's one way we can figure this out. We'll just go ask the prophets. Um so they do. They get in the runabout, they go back to the wormhole, 
Um, they ask the prophets who are just as weird and non-linear as you can expect. They don't understand what later, before, after, time, time in general just seems to be, you know, <laughs> beyond them, to say the least. Right. Right. But they finally start to grasp what Cisco is saying about the issue in Akram being around. And they realize that, you know, we can just send him back to where he was before we found him. And they're ready to just right. kind of send him back and let him die. But Cisco advocates, no, let him, you know, stay healthy, but just send him back and let him live out the rest of his days in the past. Right. So they agree and they uh, send him back. Cisco is now once again the emissary, and uh, essentially all is right with the world. On that story, now we do have a, a slight B plot that's going on. This involves Bashir and O'Brien, who are basically seeing the end of their bromance because Kira, uh, not Kira, but Keiko, who's been working on Bajor, as we know, as we've seen from earlier episodes, she is back. And not only is she back, but it looks like she's going to be around for a while because she's pregnant. And uh, so now the the O'Brien family is expanding and feeling himself very much in the family way. O'Brien wants to spend more time with his family. But of course, this means the end of him and Bashir fighting whatever in the holodeck or, you know, tinkering around in the quarters and whatever else. But of course, no more darts. yeah, no more darts, no more just drinking beers and whatever else. Well, Going back into the family routine is a lot harder for O'Brien than he realized, and he's just not happy. He's not enjoying it. <laughs> you know, no one really seems to want him around. Keiko is still working. She's just now working in their quarters. Molly, she's, you know, a precocious kid, and she's got her own things going on, too. You know, she doesn't really seem to want to be bothered, so he's just kind of like there. He could be out doing things, but he feels obligated to stay home. You know, Kira, not Kira, man, Kira, she's, her name is stuck in my head. Keiko uh, decides basically to use some, you know, some old wife trickery, I guess, and basically play the two friends off of each other to make it seem like the other one is missing the other one. She tells O'Brien, hey, I ran into Bashir. He seemed really depressed. He's probably missing you. Why don't you go hang out with your buddy? And he's like, sure, anything to cheer up the doc. And while he walks out, she calls Bashir and basically lays him the same guilt trip, but using O'Brien. Of course, the two friends reunite and they are now having, you know, their their good time. And they're kind of back to what they were doing. So that's essentially the episode. Um, we are going to talk about certain things, obviously. But those are the highlights. And as always, if you want to get the full deep dive and appreciate everything we're going to say now, you should go watch the episode. You can totally pause this and go watch it. Show's 30 years old. You should have watched it anyway. But hey, <laughs> here we are. So, all that said and done, as always, first question. David, Mr. I've never seen the episode before. <laughs> what did you think of the episode? So like I said, this episode definitely references the first episode of the season, or of the series, that is, uh, with uh, going to the wormhole and directly meeting the prophets. This is the first time that Cisco, I can remember, going to the wormhole and talking with the prophets in the wormhole uh, since the pilot. We've had him interact with, well, like Akira, she interacted with an orb on Bajor, and... Kyle Paka was her own thing at times during the first season. And she returns, by the way. There was one. We're going to talk about that. No, that was one of the things I was going to say. Is, is we hit the highlights. But yes, yeah, Neil yeah, Saviola yes. is back once again as yes. Kyle Paka. Exactly. Um, 
so yeah, it's uh, the idea of beings who are not linear in time and trying to understand that is an interesting concept. It's it's interesting because it also, you know, they, they still have to in some ways do that because they do have a conversation that has a linear progression when they're up there. But whatever. Yeah. You know, so well, so just to that real quick, I will say, remember, as they even say in this episode, Cisco taught them about linear time. So they do grasp the initial concepts of it. I just think there are still certain right. aspects of it that they haven't totally wrapped their mind about. But that was that was the first episode. That was emissary, him teaching right. them about linear existence and what it, what it is right. and what it means. Right, right. Um, however, I the idea that this guy who thought he was the emissary, oh, we could just send him back in time and it solves our problem in the, in the present. And not only does he go back in time, but he lives and he fixes the poem. I mean, they address it because Kira's like, wait a minute, I remember the poem not being complete and yet it's now complete. Like, how does that make sense? And I don't know exactly what Cisco, Cisco says. says. They the basically hand wave it. The, no, he says the prophets work in mysterious ways. That's what he says. That's exactly what I mean. I was like, ah, who knows? I'm like, I, I, I'm a it could potentially I'm be a... an allusion to you know something that happens in the future. We don't know. Um, it could also be kind of more of an allusion to what um, the prophets say when Akram asked them. He's like, well, why did you? If I'm not your emissary, why did you? bring me here why did you let me come here and they said for the cisco and so right. what we what i took anyway from from that revelation was that um they knew about cisco's kind of crisis of faith basically yeah that he was hesitant about uh, totally assuming the title of emissary and this was their way of kind of pushing him to recognize that it is his role and even okay. yeah. and even Opaka says at the end, you are of Bajor. She's alluding right. to the fact that this is his role. This is where he's supposed to be. And kind of, right. you know, accept your mantle, man. You know, stop fighting it so much. Right. Yeah, I guess that's fair. That is, that is important that they're, they're trying to re-jump, like, jumpstart Cisco's uh, adherence to this position he's got. He's always yeah. treated it with a hand outstretched. Yeah, he's been, he's very distant. He doesn't take it. He doesn't take it seriously, but he tries his best to really, you know, box it in. He only does yeah. these very specific things. He doesn't. Right. Uh, he they he doesn't embrace it the way he embraces his role of being a Starfleet officer, and that's kind of like yeah, the yeah, point. exactly. They want him to do both. Yeah, and we we've always at least my understanding has always been like the reason he isn't in is embracing it is because one it's not his faith again the very idea of the wormhole is also the this the temple you know the the bajorans have a have a, have a religious aspect to the wormhole mm -hmm. but he's from the federation that's not how he thinks of it it's just a wormhole so he doesn't have the same belief system as the bajorans and so this episode really kind of pushes that on him a bit being like well, I mean, we are beings up here that have some sort of effect on Bajor, and you are a part of that. Um, yes. We, I mean, so take that as you will, but that yeah. is certainly true. Uh, and then finally, the other part of it is we know that Cisco is a humble guy. He's not the type to go run around and tell people. Like, Kira says to Cisco when he has given up the role of the, of the emissary, and he's starting to 
regret it. And she says to him, we would have done anything. We would have tried as hard as we could to do anything you asked of us. And Cisco is kind of like, that's, that's important. Mixed, like, mixed yeah, feelings you, to you say had, the least. Right. Yeah. He, he's not the type to abuse his power. Um, even though he might want to, you know, kind of effectively command the Bajorans to do this, do that. Right. You know, Bajorans get your political affairs in order, you know, quit running around with your army. And to be frank, I think Kira is a little bit overselling it. Yes, she herself, and yes, the very religious, obedient um, Bajorans would have tried obeying the emissary. But any, as long as one or two people, you know, object or try and rebel, there would still be issues. I mean, and we see that here. We saw the Vedic who yeah. was like, "No, I'm not going to stop being a Vedic because some old dude said I can't be a Vedic anymore." <laughs> I mean, it got him right. killed. But I mean, that's essentially the conversation. The you know Vedic Porta went to him and said, "Hey, your Dajara says you can't be a Vedic anymore." And the guy was like, "Uh, screw you, old man." And then he got right. pushed over the, the bridge for it. So the old man was like so proud of his killing that dude. Like I killed he that really dude. Was. In public, he was like, yeah, no uh, yeah, yeah. Of course I did it. He went in front of his Dajara. So boom, <laughs> dead. I mean, yeah. Now it's also I feel like it's very important to note that you know with the Federation and with Starfleet in particular, obviously we have a lot of different races with a lot of different cultural backgrounds and religious beliefs and everything else. And this is something that. You know, we've heard talked about several times, even in the next generation. Picard has made several speeches about the fact that, you know, there are so many different races and religions and cultures and everybody who chooses to join the Federation chooses to, especially if you choose to be a Starfleet officer, you have agreed to put that aside because we right. want everyone to be equal. If your religion says that somebody else is unclean, terrible, not worthy, whatever it is. If you still believe that, you can't be in Starfleet because we believe everyone is equal. And it's also right. very important to note that is a choice. If you do not want to give up your beliefs, you do not have to be in the Federation. We see this with the Klingons. Klingons have right. a very different cultural background. And while they don't, you know, so obviously they don't believe everything that the Federation does. And the Federation's like, that's fine. You don't have to be a part of the Federation. We can still be friends. We can still be allies. But right. you don't have to totally buy into everything that we're doing here. That's right. kind of going back to that chief lesson that we've talked about before, too. The Federation is basically like, we will do whatever it takes to make sure everybody gets along, except push beliefs on people, except right. make you do whatever compulsory whatever it is that's what makes them different from like the main antagonists that we see like the romulans or the borg for example right. um that's what we're seeing here too with with cisco is like you said kira indicates that as emissary uh, cisco could have ordered them to do whatever he wanted but he knows that he needs to not make it an order, but show them that, you know, being more cooperative and being more inclusive is in your best interest. If ultimately they decide they don't want to do it, that's on them. But all he can do is right. give them the tools and the examples to move forward. And I think that's another reason why he was also so uncomfortable with Akram, because Akram comes in and day one's like, nah, return to your Dajaras. Do it right, right now. Yeah. Come on. Yeah, his first speech on the promenade was like, we're going to go back to the way things were before the Cardassian occupation. 
And, right. uh, and like way before, time, I think, way before, not even like, how, oh, there was, it was 50 years ago. Let's try to make our life like it was 50 years ago. It was no, 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 right. 300 years ago. Go all the way exactly. back. Exactly. Yeah. And so have Dajara's been mentioned before or is this the first time that's come up? This is the first time that we've heard a mention of of Dajara's specifically. But Kira has told the story of how, you know, once the um, occupation really set in and the desire for, you know, the resistance and everything else started to spring up, how everybody stopped doing whatever it was they were doing beforehand. And it became this collective right. resistance of the occupation. So that's right. the only other time we've ever heard of a mention of life before, but there was never right. a specific, oh yeah, we were all specifically this, 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 and no, no. This okay. is the first time we've heard it like that. Got it. Okay. Yeah, because I, I was like, I don't remember hearing anything about this before. Um, yeah, it's the thing that I thought of as I was thinking about caste systems, is, of course, is India and then Britain. You know, Britain is like the Cardassians that they, you know, conquered India and ruled India for a time. And that had something to do with, you know, I, I think the caste system existed before the Britons came. And I don't know how that affected the, the Indians because it yeah. seems like it's not gone. I, I think it's not the same I, as what yeah, it was. I'm not a hundred percent on that is. either, but I, I, you know, fragmented memory. I believe the same thing that like once England took over, they essentially eliminated the caste system for a while. But then once right. England pulled out of India, and you know the people started to reestablish their own lifestyles and so forth, Culture. I think the caste system kind of had a resurgence. So. Right. Um, yeah. and, and so now it's like it's it's kind of weird like you know you can see people who are still kind of following along with it a little bit but I don't think it's as severe with younger and younger generations as it would have been with the older ones right yeah it's um I mean I don't think anyone would deny that caste systems are oppressive it's interesting that i mean by their very uh, nature they're oppressive i mean you are restricting yeah. people from living any kind of life just based upon you know like as we see here well, in this episode uh, by a name or a region where you were born so because you were born yeah. there you can now no longer be anything else because that's what everybody in that region does yes which is very you know it because as we saw, Kira tries doing some artwork, and she only tried once. I mean, there is an argument that they could have made to her of, like, you just started trying, which is basically, I guess, the argument, like, go off and learn from some other artists. Um, but yeah, the thing that really struck me, though, was that, in, in, in comparison to, like, the Indian caste system, is like my understanding of the Indian caste system is, like, it's five tiers or something like that. So it's... It's not as specific as this one is. Like you are an artist. You are you do funeral rites. Yeah. You do this. You don't have like a, a a range of things in that society. It's not like you're a, a like a day laborer, whatever that yeah. means, or you're a ruling caste, yeah. whatever that means. It's it's very specific. Well, I let's mean, keep in mind, obviously, that you know this is obviously Trek trying to do an allegory here, and there's yeah, a yeah, very limited window that they can present things and. You know, exactly. so but we yes. did get a couple of different layers. So, like, first, we know that there are groups that are specifically going to be military personnel. If you're not born in that in that region and that family or whatever, you 
It, it actually seems to be two different things. So if you're born in a particular region, that decides your job. In this region, you're artisans. This region, you're you know cooks or whatever. In this one, you're the military. Then the second part of the Dajara seems to be related to your name and your your family name. We see a woman give up a seat to Kira because she has a different family crest than Kira's, and Kira is of a higher rank. This also seems to be an, it seems to be indicated by the um, ornate rings earrings. that the the earrings that the Bajorans wear. The woman motions right. to her ring. She says, "You're." Evola, I'm something else. And she right. motions to her earring. And so now right. we know that the earrings are not just a um, religious significant uh, uh, iconography, but it also has to do with the Dajara and the ranking and, and where you lived and what you did. Right. So it was a way of telling people just by looking at your ear who you were, what family you were a part of, and what your job was. Right. So. And Cisco's like, yeah, it's been happening all day. Anytime anybody comes in with a higher ranking Dajara, someone else gives up their seat. So then, so we know that then certain families, certain jobs are clearly valued more than others. Right. And so there's a ranking to that too. So yeah, a lot of different quick levels of complexity they threw at us here trying to just determine how these Dajaras work while right. uh, also seeing obviously the inherent issues with a caste system. Right. Yeah, it's, uh, again, because I hadn't heard of the jars before, it's kind of a sudden um, change yeah. to hear about Bajoran history. I mean, part of the reason I was bringing up the whole Britain and Indian thing, Britain, India thing was like, um, the Cardassian, um, what are the Cardassian, uh, our main Cardassian. Gold Ducat. name all of a sudden. Gold Ducat. Gold Ducat. I couldn't think of his name. Anyway, yes, Gold Ducat is all like, yeah, we Cardassians helped you Bajorans out of your backward ways, and uh, you should thank us. And, you know, Kira being like, what the hell are you talking about? Right. And then I see this episode, and I'm like, I think he might have a kind of a point. So, yes. <laughs> so, I mean, so, yeah, so, I mean, if you if you, if you want to go a, that route, a, let's look at things yeah. from the viewpoint of the devil, basically. Um, yeah, so they, so what yeah. we know of the Bajoran people before the occupation of Cardassia, they were um, at the height of kind of a cultural renaissance. They've been known for years, like they they have technology, but it seems to be very simplistic at best. They're more concerned with um, the spirit, with spirituality. They are they have a more artistic side. They're more into music and art and literature and those types of aspects of culture not war not aggression not you know right developing technology along those lines when the cardassians right. arrive all they see is a bunch of basically you know backwood farmers who've got a lush yeah, green planet right that's yeah. full of resources that we could easily exploit. These people don't have a standing military. They can't put up any kind of fight. We can take everything that we need to build up our own war machine, and we can make them do it by slave labor. So they come right. in. They establish a base. They just obliterate all this stuff. They don't, they don't care about your Dajaras and what region you're from. You're a worker. We need you to right. process all these raw minerals we're uh, raping out of your planet at an alarming rate we need right. you to you know build our ships and everything else we don't care what your dajara is so yes 
they eliminated all of that and then they unified the people, which also goes back to an early first season episode where Cisco has to mediate a dispute between two different groups of Bajorans. Remember, and that right. one w- was led by that uh, young woman who Jake and Nog were fascinated by. Um, so, yeah, they've eliminated all of that and they've united all the Bajorans under one cause. Get rid of the Cardassians and the occupation. So now it doesn't right. matter what your Dajara was. You can fight, can't you? You can resist. Right. You can you can do all these other things. So that becomes their main thing. And so then for the next 50, 60 years, that's their whole goal. Get these people off the planet. They finally do leave. They finally do drive them off. And now it's, let's, you know, we have to save ourselves. We have to save our planet. Can our planet be saved? You know, what right. damage has been done? So again, the thought of Dajara's is far from anybody's mind and right i would probably say like considering how long ago akram lived i don't think the jars were probably as important to the bajorans of 50 years ago as it was to him from 300 years ago yeah you think it was already kind of working itself yeah probably already kind of yeah because as we see we see that in in our own culture you know things that were you know Again, like take kings and queens, for example. They used to be the end-all, be-all for <laughs> everybody, right? And we've we've yeah. moved away from that over time. Right. I would say probably right. over the course of 300 years, we probably would have seen the same kind of decline and it being more of a, you know, a cultural, more of a traditional thing, not something stringently enforced. Right. And then here he comes and he's just like, no, hardcore, old school Dajaris, 100%, you know? Right. And, um, yeah, I think that's the, the disconnect. So again, to play the devil's advocate here, Ducat is correct. He, they elevated them from this, uh, racist xenophobic group to a, a united front, a united right. people with one cause, one goal. Um, right. so yeah. And they didn't even erect the statue of the man. Like he deserves his thanks, man. So, right. Uh, yeah. So now, um, I do want to. I was just gonna to, say go that. Ahead. I was just gonna say that you know, um, uh, Shakar, 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 the first minister. He was a farmer. So mm-hmm. part of what um, the new emissary is saying is like, yeah, um, we'll let him keep his job, but during the next election, I'm sure everyone will realize that he's not meant to be the leader of the the, the first minister or whatever, and he can go back to being a farmer. Like he deserves to be. Um, also, yeah, it's just, it's just... <laughs> also honorable mention. He says, "I've talked." The the new emissary Akram says, "I've oh, talked with the Kai, and she Kai agrees Wayne. with me." And Cisco's yeah. like, "Yeah, I bet she does. I bet she does, I yeah, bet she does agree with you." That witch, <laughs> Space Karen. She's not even in the episode. She's just angering oh, up the blood, man. Oh. And that moment where he reaches for Cisco's ear, because Cisco's like telling him like this ain't right, and he like reaches for Cisco's ear and he grabs him and he's like, "I oh, sense your." I see why Opaka thought you were the emissary, and I see why Kai yeah. Win fears you. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, get this superstitious uh, hey. snake charming nonsense yeah. out of here. Is this uh, this what is it? You know, the fake people who say you know um, uh, fortune tellers. Get that fortune telling nonsense out of here. <laughs> Uh, hey, hey, you know, Miss Cleo was a life changer 
for a lot of people <laughs> in the mid nineties. All right. Um. So yeah, yeah. The whole um Dajara thing is interesting. It's interesting to see Kira just kind of go for it. Um. Again, we didn't talk about it yet, but Odo confronts her, and he's like, "Why are you so like quick to move on from Cisco being the emissary mm-hmm. to this new guy?" And she says, when you have faith, you don't need to explain yourself. When you don't, you don't understand it. Which, I can, I kind of get that. I feel like, it, it feels like, it's part of the reason I have a problem with the Bajoran religion, is it seems very superstitious a lot of the time. And so I feel like that's definitely a superstitious kind of comment. Like, you just get it or you don't. Like, Yes, because Odo, okay, Odo but... says, he says, uh, your faith... And he says, I don't mean to be difficult, but your faith has led you into a contradiction. And she's like, I don't see it as a contradiction. And he says, I don't understand. And she's like, well, that's the thing about faith. If you don't have it, you can't understand it. But if you do, no explanation is necessary. So in that instant, they're they're less talking about the, you know, A to B to C of Cisco being the emissary and then not. And more about faith in the overall... Uh, belief in the prophets and that the prophets are directing them along a path and she has faith that the prophets are doing what they view as in the best interest of Bajor. They might not have told her specifically, but her faith informs her that um, she needs to trust the process basically. Whereas he is kind of pointing out there's kind of a what he sees as a, he views as a flaw in her logic Right. And uh, she's like, yeah, you're you're focused. She's telling him you're focused on the wrong thing. And he's kind of saying the same thing to her. And basically, it's a mutual misunderstanding of each other. But she's like, well, I don't have to understand you because this is my faith. Right. And this is how I'm, you know. Well, it's it actually as you talk about that, it makes me think, you know, it's interesting. If, if we're saying that this episode and what happens here was to convince Cisco that he is meant to be the emissary, that it means that a lot of social unrest occurred over the course of this episode, which is insinuated of being several weeks when when Bashir and O'Brien are talking. Like it's been a while since we've hung out. Um, And that Vedic guy died. You know, the one Vedic murdered him. So like for Cisco to learn his lesson, some people had to die and some up, you know, social unrest had to occur. Yeah. Other than the dying of the one guy, we don't know much else, but it's kind of an interesting thought. Like, um, you know, Kira's like, I'm trusting the prophets. I'm trusting the prophets. And meanwhile, it's like, hey, Cisco, get in gear because things are happening while you're having this crisis of faith. Right. Um, yeah, it's it's. Uh, I mean, I, I think I imagine people could make biblical um, comparisons to that to what I just said. But anyway, um, it's it, it's a it's an interesting. It, it the, the show is trying to really explore the idea of what it means to have this particular religious faith as a Bajoran. And I, I'll give them props. They they have really tried that, and it's, they're, you know, they I are trying to treat it. Times, I, I feel like they are trying their best to treat this, you know, and, and just with religion in general. Let's not just say the Bajoran yeah. religion, but I feel like they're trying to uh, treat tenets of religion in general with respect and trying to right. show how you can you can have both you know you can you can be a believer and not and and exist in the same space well you can have those right. those two people um this well, is I something that I, star trek I, has really really struggled with over its over its right. long run well the reason i say trying to work on the bajoran religion is to is to emphasize that i do think there are 
there are differences between what the Bajoran religion is and like what I believe is a Christian. Yeah. When I say faith, I don't mean it in that blind faith kind of way that Kira sort of insinuates here. A lot of people might think that that's what it means, or even as Christians might even say that. I think the more uh, mature understanding of what faith is supposed to mean in Christian context is like trust in what you have known to be true in the past moving forward into the future. Like I have faith that the pilot of this plane who has been successful in the past will successfully land this plane next time. Or I have faith that the sun will come up in the morning because it has in the past. And we know that those things are true. There's evidence for it. We can say that that'll occur again. And then in the biblical context saying, if God has revealed himself to be this certain way, he's a loving God and he will treat people in a loving way. Uh, again, that's, that's a very generic statement. That's what I'm getting at when okay. I say, uh, the, the Bajoran way of religion and trying to, the show is working that out. Yes. Even if there are differences with how I view things in my own life, it's not that the show isn't trying to work out its own thought process and, and make comparisons to other faith religions. Don't get me yeah. wrong. I'm not saying that they're isolated in their attempts. I'm just saying that, that I'm mainly focused on how they're doing it on the show for the show's sake, at least at the right. moment. So, um, but yeah, what? it's, uh, it, it's 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 fun to see Cisco kind of embrace his role because it's what is that going to mean now? Right. Sorry, I interrupted so, you. No, to say it, something. But I, yeah. I, was, I was only going to say, you know, um, again, this is something that Star Trek has struggled with. Whenever it comes to any religion, whether they are trying to like uh, feature a known Earth-based religion of any kind, or dealing with um, establishing an alien religion of any kind. It's always very, you know, hard for them to, um, to nail things down. And I understand they do it that way on purpose because there's a a greater message that they're trying to reach um, with the overall episode. And there are time constraints. And there's also, you know, uh, the CEOs of Paramount and wherever else who are like, yeah, no, you can't do that. You know, like even this episode, they did not want them to do a religious episode. Um, they felt like the religious episodes were just kind of like, you know, ratings quagmires, basically. They just, it was too much. They felt like it was too much for people to really, you know, sit with and think about and so forth. And they just didn't want it to happen a whole lot. And they understood the overall significance of Bajor and the prophets to the show, but they wanted that, the more superstitious part of it to be represented as little as possible. Right. Um, but doing a show like this and the way that, you know, especially the way that like characters like Kira, for example, are directly informed by their belief would have been very difficult. So right. um, I feel like this would be an interesting thing to see today, considering how things have changed with the way that we can present things on TV and in movies and so forth and to see how they would have maybe leaned more into the religious aspect and especially kind of like that borderline fanaticism of Vedic Porta that leads him to kill the other Vedic, you know? Um, Right. I I would have been interested to see that and, you know, and also get more of uh, Kaiopaka coming back and showing the stark differences between her and Kai Wynn who they're they're just so different even in this, white, baby. Yeah. yeah and even in this brief these brief flashes of opaka i have to admit like i was just like man 
I really miss her. Like just in those just brief moments, it is like I I like her so much more as Kai than right. than Win. You yeah, know? she's got a charisma about her. In this she definitely, she moment. definitely does. Yeah. She's, she's very. How can I dynamic? Very you? for yeah. Yeah, how can I, I know who you are if you don't know who you are? Yeah, how can I know I you if you don't know yourself? Yeah, that sounds like something that I mean. I assume this show has said something like that before. But she has certainly... said that to him. She has said that to okay. him before in the past, which was, um, I think, in their second meeting. She said something like that to him. No, right. it was the first meeting because he was. She kept saying that he was going to be the emissary, and she was, and he was like, "No, I, I don't know what that means. I'm not going to do that." And she's like, uh, "You're the emissary, and right. I can't help you until you help yourself." That's what she tells him. Yeah, I can't yeah, help you I, until you help yourself. Yeah, yeah, it definitely something that I think we've seen before on Deep Space Nine. I'll have to review that scene as you described it. Um, it's it's also something that you would, I'm sure, you could say you've heard other places. Um, yeah, there's. A, I'm, not yeah. Saying, I'm not saying that it takes away from this scene. I'm just saying that's a. Yeah, I. How can I help you unless you help yourself? Right. How can I know you until you know yourself? It's a very interesting, yeah. you know. <laughs> I, I like it not just for the you know the religious significance, but I feel like that is something that should be a, you can apply just to yourself, you know, religious or otherwise. Like, how can you ask of another person something? Or ask to know someone if you don't know yourself. If you're not aware of who you are as an individual, how can you go to someone else and you know kind of demand the same knowledge of them? So um, I, I just well, I, I guess, really like how this all kind of plays out for Cisco right. and to help inform him of who he is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I would just say that there are definitely times where I think other people do sometimes know us better than ourselves. And that's a good thing. You know, they, they can give us insight into our lives. But the point is, that Kaiopaka is certainly making is that she can't be the emissary for him, for example. Right. Yeah. It's his role to fulfill however it, that comes about. And I also think yeah. it's kind of informing him of the fact that he is, it, it's less about this role of emissary spiritual so forth, but more leader of Bajor. You are a leader of these yes. people. You and there are you many are there are many Bajor. ways you yeah. can right and there are many ways you can lead. And right now right. you're leading by example and your example is terrible because you're pulling back from this role that has been given to you. From this responsibility oh. that has been given to you. I wouldn't say it's been terrible. I feel like it's yeah, I we we know Cisco. Cisco isn't the type. As you said, he's not. He's not going to abuse this emissary no. power he's been given. No, and I don't, um, I don't mean might, it like that. He I, might embrace it more now. Yeah, yeah. yeah sorry. Yeah. No, right. I don't. I don't mean it like that. But like for example, um, if, let's strip away the title and the and the and the prophet's aspect of it, right? Right. And look, let's look at his mission as the Starfleet officer who is trying to bring. Uh, Bajor into the fold, right? Right. He doesn't necessarily have to abuse the power of emissary, but if he was to do more to be inclusive towards Bajoran people, which we find out from past episodes, he doesn't go to festivals. He barely does the the blessings and stuff that they ask him to. He right. uh, basically he doesn't really participate in any of the ceremonies or whatever it is. Why? Why not show up? We're not. He's, they're not necessarily asking him to 
um, you know, say, oh, and the prophets commanded me to tell you to do this or whatever, but just right. be there, just show right. up and show that you right. can be welcoming to, to, uh, and that you're interested in these people in their and they're, and they're right. Would yeah, have gone a there's... long way towards his overall mission of bringing them into the Federation by him right. being so standoffish. He makes himself, he makes himself stand apart. He makes it so that they can't know him. And right. it's harder for them to work with him and trust him because everything he does, he keeps he keeps them at a distance. He puts a barrier up. Right. Yeah. By holding himself up to the position of emissary, he's also holding a hand up to the Bajorans in a sense as well. Yes. And saying, keep a distance. We want to keep a and, distance. And we even see yeah. this in his relationship with Kira. Remember, even in the episode where he got knocked out and she was praying over him and she talks about how, you know, she's always felt like he's kept her at a distance. That, that's not what she wanted, but she's noticed that it made him more comfortable if she kept her distance from him because that seemed right. to be the distinction that he wanted. And then, um, you know, they we saw at the end of the episode, they changed a bit and they went and, you know, they watched the baseball game together and everything. And now we see here, even in this episode, they seem much more comfortable with each other. They're working very well together. And then when she's telling him about how she's going to step down, she's going to resign and she's got some replacements lined up for him to interview and so forth. They get emotional with each other for a second. The realization that they're not going to be working together. They're not going to have their relationship anymore because of this right. thing. And he's like, yeah, we can find someone else to do the job, but I'm, you know, to replace you, that's like impossible. You know, it was right. a great scene between them just to show the growth in their characters and how much closer they have come to each other. Um, once right. Cisco stopped being so, you know, standoffish with her. And right. uh, it's, I feel like it's a great allegory for how he needs to view Bajor at large. And we kind of see him accepting that at the end when, when Apaka is telling him you are of Bajor. Right. Yeah, yeah. I can fill your post, but replace you? Yeah. Um, speaking of Opaka, we got to mention real quickly that part of what Cisco tries doing is denying that he had a vision from Opaka by going to, to Bashir <laughs> to get... Um, get some drugs. <laughs> yeah, he says that, um, yeah, when, when, when Bajorans have visions, they have a higher whatever neuropeptides they've got neuropeptides that are overproduced overproduction but but bashir is like but people who who have that are people who have had interactions with orbs and are supposedly denying visions they've had Mm -hmm. so what are you denying cisco and he's like uh what's what's wrong with you cisco he's like i have too many pepto right i've got too many neuropeptides Peptides, yeah. Ain't nothing, uh, wrong, funny ain't nothing wrong with meat, right? Nice little deny, yeah. deny, deny. You know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and what? Oh, yeah. So <laughs> onto our onto our B plot real quick. I did yes. want to bring up one other. Uh, in, I I love this scene where it's shortly after uh, O'Brien has found out that he is going to be you know having another kid, and he um, is in the bar, and it's him, Bashir, and Quark, and he they're you know, making the general announcement and everything else. And then Worf comes in and Bashir's like, Oh, did you hear the news? (laughs) Keiko's pregnant. And Worf's like, what? He says, Keiko's going to have another baby. He's like, what now? They're like, uh, no, not now, man. In like seven months, calm down. 
He's like, oh, I, I will, uh, I'll be away. Be away from this. Far away from the station. <laughs> and I go, yeah, Warp delivered Molly all those years ago, and I was like, that's right, he did deliver Molly. Yeah. Forgot about that. And so yeah. now, now and Warp is terrified. Yeah. <laughs> Big burly Klingon is terrible. Of that episode, oh, I do. With that, so but, that is the yeah, uh, Star Trek Next Generation episode called Disaster, and that is where the ship is um, uh, struck by, I believe, a quantum filament. I think, and it knocks out power across the entire ship, and that's where O'Brien, Ensign Rowe, and uh, Deanna are trapped on the bridge. Um, right. Picard is trapped in a turbo lift with some kids. Data and Riker end up crawling through Jeffrey's tubes to get to main engineering. And then there's like a bunch of people who are trapped in 10 forward, one of them being a very pregnant Keiko and security chief Worf. And Worf, <laughs> using his handy dandy tricorder, begins reading through the procedure of childbirth. <laughs> And trying to help her Human deliver this baby. Yeah. Yes. And he's like, you yeah. are now fully dilated. You can commence to push. And she's just... <laughs> yeah. She's staring just at him like... Ah. Right. And so then and he delivers the baby. Cling on, help you yes. deliver a baby. And he's oh like, I will now spank the child to induce breathing. And you hear the light <laughs> taps. And then the baby starts crying. And he gives yeah. it to her. Yeah. It was an interesting... Yeah scene and an interesting choice of of right. uh birthing coach there uh, in morph right. but yeah great scene right. and he i mean he handles it well so for him to now flash <laughs> forward and being like shell-shocked now yeah uh, i'm gonna be far away like <laughs> yeah you, you did fine man right <laughs> yeah yeah that's like a funny scene, and that's the only scene with him in it, I think. Warf that's it. Yeah, he else. he dips yeah. out. No, he he meant it when he said far away. He got in the yeah. shuttle and he left. Now nah, we're not going to see Warf yeah. for seven. Months. He got back to the Defiant right right away, and the yes. Defiant shortly thereafter had <laughs> some exploratory missions to right to several, several missions. He's got the Defiant yeah. on lockdown. No one with O'Brien yeah. DNA is going to be able to get on the Defiant. He's yeah. going to make sure. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I have to say though, I O'Brien, I want to smack this fool up across his head. His wife comes home from being gone for a, basically a year, and one of the first things he's told by his four-year-old daughter is that mommy's pregnant, and his reaction is the worst. He's like, "Aw, really? That means I'm gonna have to take care of like you and the family. I can't no, go hang out with my that's friend not, again. That's not entirely accurate. Uh, his reaction was more along the lines terrible of terrible this episode. His reaction was more along the lines of yes, we had talked about having a kid, but I was looking forward to practicing having another kid with you several more times before it yeah, actually Yeah, I, I get that, but his reaction was so like flat. Yeah, it was like. If yeah. I was Keiko, I'd have slapped him across his face in that moment. Be like, be happy for us. <laughs> and I, I mean, I said the same thing when I watched it. I was just like, I mean, I get what you're saying, but there's nothing that says that you can't still, you know, enjoy yeah. intimate time well, with your wife. I mean, she's not she's not a, that far along yet that you can't. I mean, yeah, you know, that's yeah, that's you can your, have some fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's that's your wife. I'm sure she's happy to see you. Wink, wink. You know, right. Um, 
I would have made a joke of like, yeah, I only needed one night. Now he's all like, I thought we would need several nights. I would have made a joke, but like, yeah, that's how potent it is for the O'Brien well, scene or something. Well, again, this was the '90s, <laughs> so there's only so much that they can do, uh, and that was, and that was also one of the know. common tropes of the '90s is the the dad who you know he's just this that's kind of true. like. He's committed to his wife, but it's like only so long as he can have sex with and her. And he's whenever, also a you know. giant kid. Yeah. And that was also another trope that know, we saw just... early on in the episode two, where he's trying to rush back to clean the quarters, and they're all messy and terrible and whatever else. And it's like, uh, once again, quintessential dad left alone. He can't keep his house tidy. He doesn't know how to clean up after himself, and he needs he's got to rope in his best friend to do a mass quick cleaning before she right. comes home and scolds scolds the nascent husband you know yeah. like that was another one right. of those early 90s uh, tropes right. which annoy me <laughs> to no end but yeah yeah well i mean like later on he's trying to hang out with the family and you know keiko's like i got work to do and molly's like i want to draw and he's like can i draw and she's like i'm drawing and he just sits there like a confused puppy i'm like now i will put i will also put some of that around. back on I will also put some of that back on Keiko. She hasn't seen her husband no. in a year. Oh, this, this, hear me out. I'm just saying she hasn't okay. seen her husband in, in a year. In terms of working. Yeah. Right. Yeah, 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 and yeah, she's yeah. now back. And I understand that she's probably got some things she needs to finish up and everything else. But y'all can't schedule some time to like just Fair be enough. a family yes. together. You haven't seen him in a yeah. year. You haven't seen each other yeah. in a year. Yeah, you know? exactly. Well, I mean, other than the fact the episode seems to indicate that this episode takes place over a longer period of time than like, you know, a day or two. It actually took over several weeks, but I get your point. Has Keiko given the couple days time to O'Brien? Right. Like it, it <laughs> seems like it's kind of just been like she's just come back and she's immediately still back. working. She's just doing what she can right. while she's at home, and he's kind right. of um, cleared. He's now, he, now he's got all these gaps of time available that he was normally doing things that he has now given up to be with his family, and no one in his family is paying him any attention. So it's just right. like. I guess yeah. I guess what I'm getting at is like there's the scene where O'Brien's walking past the bar and Julian yeah. rap, grabs him and says, "Come have a beer. You're I heard you're gonna have yeah. a child. Let me." And O'Brien is like reluctant to come in, but like not reluctant to come in. Like he he doesn't want to go home. Almost what I I wish what the episode had done in those moments it had been Bashir is the one who suddenly left by himself yeah I, that would have been yeah they should have shown that more like o'brien maybe yeah being... o'brien is more excited about being with his family again being with yeah. molly being with keiko and it's julian bashir who's now depressed you know before he and o'brien were kind of at odds they were yeah quite you know friends. having a they late kinda... night drink or grabbing lunch together or you know someone wanted to pop by someone else's quarters just because they're bored or whatever now all those things he can't do anymore because O'Brien is right. back with his family and it'd be inappropriate for him to drop in on O'Brien at say 10 o'clock yeah. at night and go to the holodeck to shoot up the English channel or whatever it was you know yeah show him trying to do darts with Morn and that being yeah. nothing yeah. I, I wish it hadn't been O'Brien who was having all this weird angsty basically as I was watching this episode I was like O'Brien get your act together your well, wife's could... home your kid's home get your act together they could have done both and they should have done both to a greater degree than what we saw there was more focus on O'Brien than Bashir being you know the one missing the friend we do get that sense from Bashir that he does miss hanging out with um, 
O'Brien, but they make it seem like, oh, but I mean, he's just a regular single guy. He's got other options. Right. He may not be as good, but he still has other options. But it would have been better if they had made it a point to show that their friendship had changed so much that, yes, you have other people you can talk to and hang out with, but it's not the same as hanging out with your best friend. Everybody knows that. Right. So, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I do hope at some point we really nailed down the Bashir O'Brien friendship a little bit more, like a, a more sweet, tender kind of moment between the two of them where they mm-hmm. have some sort of big shootout and they – Bashir is hurt and O'Brien has to carry him across, you know, some uh, sort of ravine. Some sort of like this is how far their relationship has come. The two of them are now, you know, thickest thieves, best buddies. I mean, we we get that. We we know yeah. that they're definitely there. I understand and their what you're relationship saying. Right. has improved. And there's plenty of time for that to happen because we're only just now on the second half of the yeah. show. So uh but I look forward to seeing some more of that. I guess I was just I was just for me, I was like I was just thinking, you know, you you've said that people are like hard on Keiko as a character as opposed to Bashir or as opposed to O'Brien. And in this episode, I felt like it was O'Brien who was dropping the ball. Like your wife comes home and says she's pregnant and you don't immediately, even if you're having a hard time faking it, fake the heck out of it. You fake it. You make sure your wife knows how happy you are. Once again, this is again, the product (laughs) of the nineties, which even though they're trying to do a futuristic show, it's that whole yeah, everybody is still the same. We're still guided by these same kind of, you know, very old um, ways of thinking here. And yeah, him being this right. kind of lackluster, oh, she's pregnant. All I get to, I just got, yeah, that, yeah, that is. Well, I mean, I, I, like, I, as I'm thinking about it, I'm like, what, what, what she done? He should have been happy. He should have been going to Cisco and been like, I'm having another kid. Right. That would have been. I think that would have been a wait. great thing to see, especially because we know that right. Cisco himself was very much a, a family man. I think he would have well, loved what I'm to have heard at, that though, news. Is, what I'm getting though at is, I think it would have been great for him to say something like, maybe she'll be a a writer. Maybe like he'll say something to the effect of like, I can't wait to see what her life will be. As her father, which would then put an emphasis on the whole Dajara situation. The Dajaras uh, are strict. And here comes O'Brien being like, I can't wait for my daughter to have a full life. or Yeah, to do like all the these things. And he's like telling it, especially if he was like telling it to Cisco, who was maybe with um, the new emissary or with Kira right. or somebody. And so they're overhearing right. this human gush about the endless boundless pretend potential of the kid that's getting ready to arrive and they can be anything they want and i can't wait to see him grow and learn and maybe they'll do this maybe they'll do that and like i could and his excitement carrying him through this moment that he is totally unaware that he's just walked in on these people who are debating the finer points of a caste system so yeah that that would have been a very interesting scene you know and then yeah I also wish Jake had been brought up briefly. Like, Jake is not following in his dad's footsteps. He's going to be a writer. His dad is a military man, and his son is not or, at that at all. Or Nog. Nog, who or is Nog. not in the family business, and he's going to be yeah. a Starfleet officer. So, it's yeah. Funny. The Ferengi have a caste system. It's one caste. It's Merchant. <laughs> <laughs> That's basically That's it. it. That's it. <laughs> Profit. <laughs> Money. What caste are you in? Yeah. Money. Which, yeah. which one? Money? Dollars? Yeah. Yeah. Platinum? Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But anyway, I, I, I want to say I like this episode took risks, especially with the whole emissary thing. It it was 
it moved the story forward in a way. Yes. Um, this episode moves things forward there. Um, I'm glad to see Keiko back. I do feel like, unfortunately, it's one of those situations where it's hard to have family members in a show like this, uh, which we've the show has already addressed. You know, it's have it's hard having loved ones in this line of work and therefore yes, the show also life. has a hard time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm glad she's back in the sense of that I feel like O'Brien and Keiko as a married couple should be together as much as possible. Yeah, and we, haven't really, seen, we haven't really seen Keiko. Though. Yeah, this is the return she's been of gone Keiko. for a while. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And of course, his daughter Molly is cute as I'll get out. She's, I guess, four now, like I think I've said. Yes. So yeah, um, yeah, I just want to smack O'Brien across his head and be like, get your ass in gear, bro. Love your wife and like tell her how wonderful she is and didn't I don't know but whatever <laughs> you're right 90s tropes were probably winning out that was yeah probably, was absolutely <laughs> absolutely well so. so that's your final thought there you you like the episode you like what you saw so far we we kind of get a, a catch up basically we're really kind of yeah of, of a lot of people here uh, Cisco right. the O'Briens Bashir everybody we're now kind of moving into this next phase of what you know, the show is really going to be about and, you know, yes. significance of certain things. I really, so, yeah. I'm really curious now, what is it going to mean for Cisco to be the emissary? Because it's been reaffirmed that, yes, you are the you are this person. You are the emissary, and it is very important well, that you understand yeah. that you are right. the emissary. Right. So I assume the show is going to grab that bull by the horns and uh, t- well, tell, us on, tell us some stories. We've got seasons five, six, and seven to yeah. find out. So. so. Well, all right. I think that's going to do it for us on this episode. We did go a little bit over, but not nearly as bad as last week. Um, as always, just like to say um, I thank you all for listening, of course. Um, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, you can find us anywhere uh, that we do the social medias, which is mainly Facebook right now. Uh, don't even ask about Twitter anymore. Just We don't ask about Twitter. Um, you can also leave comments on any of our uh, videos on our uh, YouTube channel, which is, of course, called... The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast, and you can listen to us by searching for the same name anywhere you listen to podcasts. I happen to do it on Spotify. So until next week, guys, take care of yourselves. Thanks, guys.